Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't yet joined our wonderful Flywheel Nation community, go to flywheelnation.com and join in the podcast conversations. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. brand really is the sum of all the associations that you have with a specific offering, right? So when I think about Coca-Cola, I think about friends who drink it. I see about Coca-Cola in the press. Of course, there's the bottle, there's the color. So there are brand assets, but also associations with that. I remember the time a few years ago when during a, a very hot summer, I participated in a trial, people just handing out bottles of Coke and remember the flavor of this cold, sweet drink on a hot, sunny day. Those are all impressions and associations that you create with an offering, idly to make it stand out from competition, idly associations that are relevant enough for you to, as a consumer, to be willing to pay a premium for that specific product and not switch at the first price difference with a competitor. Mm -hmm. That's really it. Welcome back. I hope your week's been awesome so far. I'm really excited to have on the Innova Buzz podcast as my guest today, Uli Applebaum. He's the founder and chief strategy officer of First the Trousers, Then the Shoes, a brand strategy, research and innovation boutique specialized in brand positioning and messaging, as well as strategy development. Uli has developed a unique positioning development methodology that is outlined in his book, The Brand Positioning Workbook. If you'd like a peek behind the curtain of the InnovaBuzz podcast, go to innovabiz.co forward slash flywheel. There, you'll be able to get your very own digital token, which will give you membership of the Flywheel Nation community. In the Flywheel Nation community, you'll have direct access to our amazing podcast guests, just like Uli, as well as to me, of course. And you'll have access to a short audio program that walks you through the entire InnovaBuzz podcasting process. Everything you need to transform your marketing and your podcasting into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. Now, I don't know how many tokens are left. There are only 30 minted, so get in quick before they're all gone. In our conversation today, Uli talked to me about the definition of a brand as all the associations we have with a specific offering. We talked about strategy as the first step of defining a brand and our marketing. And we talked about strategic storytelling that engages customers. Without further ado, then, let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Uli Applebaum. Uli, 
Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast today from Minneapolis in Minnesota, the USA, Uli Applebaum, who's an award-winning marketing and brand strategy consultant with over 20 years of experience. And he's also author of the Brand Positioning Workbook, as well as founder of First the Trousers, Then the Shoes. Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, Uli. It's a great privilege to have you here as my guest. Thanks for having me, Jürgen. Very excited to be on your show. Now, um, one of the things you say in your book or something I read that you have a desire to go beyond the superficial, the superficialty, it's hard to say, <laughs> you have a desire to go beyond that of the thinking that characterizes marketing and advertising today. And there's lots of examples of that as expressed in the typical buzzwords that are used. It's expressed in the desire to always be getting new customers and kind of ignoring existing customers and and many other things. So I'm really keen to mm -hmm. dig into that some more with you today. Before we do that, what's the impact you're making in the world today, Uli? Well, I'd like to, to, to think that through my work and through my family life, um, I help marketers do a bit of uh, better thinking when developing their marketing programs. And on my family life, uh, to be honest, I think raising three great children and turning them into great human beings is um, is the biggest possible impact I can have, call it my legacy. <laughs> yes, yes, I I know that feeling all too well. I haven't, I've done two, so I'm not quite up to your uh -huh. standard, but but wonderful human beings, yes. That's awesome, yeah, so far I haven't messed up. They are 13, 13 and 11, and so far they are thriving and doing good. So I'm, uh, I'm doing good for now. Excellent. All right. Well, you've got the fun times ahead of you. Um, I've, I've managed to <laughs> survive the teenage years and um, they've, they, they're off my hands now looking after themselves, but you. we still have a great relationship I'm, and they're doing really well. That's awesome. I'm dreading those years and I'm looking forward <laughs> at the same time. It's just life. So uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Now, talking about the superficial superficiality, I'll learn to say it by the end of the conversation today of of branding and brand strategy. I'm, it's interesting. I mean, you, I'm sure you've asked you're asked this. In fact, I know you're asked this on podcasts all the time. What specifically is a brand? I mean, we all have this idea of a brand, and a lot of the times people talk to me and say the brand and what are the colors, what are the logo and so on as our world brands a lot more than that so explain to us how you look at a brand yes absolutely and so it took me 25 years to embrace this definition right to make that clear so you know as with many things in life the more you learn the more you learn the more you experience the simpler your definition become and and for me a brand really is well not only for me for a lot of people a brand really is the sum of all the associations that you have with a specific offering, right? So when I think about Coca-Cola, you know, I think about friends who drink it. I see about Coca-Cola in the press. Of course, there's the bottle, there's the color. So there are brand assets, but also associations with that. I remember the time a few years ago when during a, a very hot summer, um, I participated in a trial, people just handing out bottles of Coke and remember the flavor of this cold, sweet drink on a hot, sunny day. Those are all impressions and associations that you create um, um, uh, with an offering. Ideally, 
to make it stand out from competition. Ideally, associations that are relevant enough for you to, as a consumer, to be willing to pay a premium um, for that specific product and not switch at the first sort of like price difference with a competitor. Mm -hmm. That's really it. So, and, and to come back to your initial question, Jürgen, sorry, I'm a bit slow. It's getting late here after a long day at work. Is, um, one of the things I want to try to do, which I do in all my work, is try to demystify branding, right? And marketing. It's not rocket science. The way I describe it always, it's 90% common sense. Um, and that's really what it is. So coming down to the essentials of marketing and branding is sort of like, um, I, I'm not sort of like professing it, but it's something I, I aspire to do at least in my work and in the work I do with my clients as well, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, simplifying things and, and bringing it down. And I guess the the name of your business, first the trousers, then the shoes, is kind of the, the, uh, the uh, yeah, I can't think of the word now, the, the, the idea of strategy. So step by step and it's simple so you don't put the shoes on before the trousers. Um, one of Correct. The th and that's one of the things. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, go. Go. I was about to say, um, um, you know, that's another thing I've noticed in the last 15, 20 years in the industry is we become more and more transactional mm -hmm. in, uh, in our uh, marketing as opposed to strategic. So, you know, it's like, okay, what should be my TikTok um, you know, campaign or strategy? What, how should I respond to the metaverse and all these kind of questions? Whereas I believe the first question is always, who are you? What do you stand for? Mm -hmm. What do you want to achieve? And then where do you want to achieve it? So we're moving away, and hopefully we're coming back to that, to a more strategic approach to brand building and marketing. But we're very distracted by technology and the digital space as well. Um, and that makes us forget sometimes the, the essentials and the basics that as a marketer you need to, to deliver against. So, uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's a really important point. What, one of the things you mentioned a few moments ago was... Um, the standing out, what differentiates you? And you just said there that what do you stand for and what is it that you actually do and who do you do it for? <clears throat> what what are the things today that people are often overlooking in this whole um, branding conversation or branding strategy that they miss that they're kind of, they end up in the run-of-the-mill companies doing the same thing? Well, the reality is, you know, when you take a, a company or a brand and you look at the marketing team uh, in that company, it's like usually very smart, very educated, very experienced people. The problem is the five or six competitors have the very same, very smart, very educated and very experienced people. And our brain follows patterns, right? And, and uh, so we all come to the same conclusions by looking at the same data and doing the same analysis. So that often leads to everyone out there, you know, does the same thing or something very similar. I think the opportunity is, the way I speak about it is, and, and we'll learn as marketer of really trying to be customer or consumer focused and really understand what drives them and how we can position our brand in their world and in their mind. The problem is all your competitors, marketeers do the same. Mm. So the, the point for me is always to try to dig deeper, to go beyond that. And a simple example which I see often happen is a lot of brands focus on what's the benefit the consumer wants 
and then let's communicate that. Um, where I'd like to go a step further on, you know, what do the consumer want and how can we bring this to life or associate our brand with this benefit in a way that is truly unique and differentiating in the category out there. So, um, you know, toothpaste brushes allows you to keep your teeth clean and have a, a dental hygiene. Great. All the toothpastes out there do that. So how do you speak about your toothpaste and the benefit it provides in a way that makes you stand out? Um, that is, I think, the opportunity most marketers have and the step that most marketers do not take. Um, it's not rocket science. Again, it's common sense. Mm. And uh, we'll come back to that regularly, I suspect. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, common sense is not all that common, which is is an opportunity for those of us that, that can master this, right? That's true. My luck. Uh, so maybe I shouldn't be promoting common sense. Continue with the craze and the buzz. That's okay with me. Yeah. Now, um, in the brand positioning workbook, you talk about 26 different sources of brand association. And I think that's where this it's not rocket science comes back. It's, it's What I really like about that is you've got sort of 26 different frames of reference, if you like, to look at your own product or your own service offering and consider it from that point of view. So talk to us a little bit about that and, and maybe you can give us one or two examples. Yeah, and that is exactly right. Um, so the 26 sources of brand associations are based on an analysis of over 1,200 case studies of effective marketing. So I didn't make them up. And an experienced marketer will go through the 26 and will see, look at every one of them and say, oh, yeah, that's a, I encountered that, or a competitor used that, or that's familiar. So there is nothing, there is no silver bullet, no like magic hmm. uh, uh, association that you never thought about. The beauty of it, it brings all 26 into one framework that when you think about how can I position my brand, you can systematically explore these 26 sources of brand association and see how do they apply to my specific situation. So, um, and, and when you think about the, the 26 sources of association, they are grouped into three categories. One is the frame of reference. So what the context in which I present my brand. And that can be anything from, uh, you know, a consumer ritual um, that a consumer goes through that you can identify, that you can get your brand associated with. Typical example would be, um, you know, we all go through this ritual in the morning as getting ready for the day. You know, we shower, we brush our teeth, um, we do our hair. That's not the case for me, but a lot of people <laughs> do that. And and you go through this transformation, right, from sleepy, uh, cozy at home to getting ready for the day. Women put makeup on. It's sort of like, you know, it's almost like a battle cry. I'm ready for the day. If you understand this um, this ritual, can you insert your brand in a meaningful and relevant way in that ritual to add meaning to your specific brand. So that would be a contextual um, sort of like source of association. The, the second territory is really about how do I engage with my consumers? What's the benefit? Is it an experiential benefit? Is it a psychological benefit? Um, maybe I can play a meaningful role by tapping into brand archetypes, so understanding the core motivation driving my consumers and tapping into that. Um, and then the third territory is really about digging into the story and the details of the brand and the offering, you know. And this can be anything from, is there a special ingredient? Is there a source of, you know, a, a country of origin claim or an origin story I can tell? All these kind of things. So, um, and in the last two minutes that I described this model, I showed you 
five or six different ways to look at your brand. And you can do that 26 times. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I've learned is that even the most experienced marketer with their own success stories may be able to come up with five or six or seven or eight at the most of these things. No one is capable of, of remembering all 26 into one thought process. So it really allows you to look at your brand from all these perspectives, come up with ideas on how these brand of, sources of brand association could apply to your specific brand, and then pick out the most relevant one based on your objectives, the problem you're trying to solve, etc., etc., etc. So that's really it. And again, not rocket science is proven successful sources of brand association just on one plate in front of you that you can systematically explore to come up with ideas. So and for each source of association, I should add, um, in the book includes three or four or five questions that are designed to guide your thought process on this specific source of association. Hmm. So again, it comes back to very basics, but it's a very powerful tool to get you to think about your brand from these angles um, at a at a level that your brain couldn't do on its own, if that makes sense. Yeah. You're basically amplifying the power of your brain. That's what they're doing. Mm, yeah, I was just going to say, it's it's a kind of like a framework for thinking, isn't it? And, um, and I imagine that with going through those 26, if we use the workbook, going through those 26, we might come up with two or three where we're a little different than what everybody else is doing in the same field. And so the combination exactly of those right. two or three then makes us quite unique if we if that we can exactly right. bring that together. Yeah, I, I look at the, the strategic development as a creative problem-solving process, and every creative problem-solving process, obviously, you need to understand what problem you're trying to solve. But the key to success, also the key to innovation for me, is to really come up with a very wide and very deep list of potential solutions. Um, you know, if you take two scientists and have them come up with solutions, they'll come up with, I don't know, 20, 30 hmm. solutions that are based on science and that are true to what those scientists think and believe. Same with marketers. Bring in six people with six different backgrounds and experience levels, um, you get already way more potential solutions from which you can choose from. Take these six people and use a methodology like um, uh, described in my book. But the truth is, it could be another methodology as well. It's just a methodology to guide your thoughts away from their natural patterns. Uh, and you get even more uh, solutions. So yeah, it's really about increasing your odds by looking at as many possible angle, uh, potential solutions as possible in the hope or with the objective that a couple of them will pop out and say, wow, I've never seen that, or get the reaction of, okay, no, we can't do that, that's too much. But those are the solutions you look for um, when you go through the process. Mm -hmm. I love it. <clears throat> One of the things you said a little while ago was that um, a lot of branding has become very transactional these days, and I see that a lot in, in the marketing game as well, that's very transactional. Um, and you also talked about understanding the problem you need to solve. So a critical part to start this whole process, I imagine, is getting to know who your clients are, what they're actually looking for, and where the intersection is with what you're proposing to offer. So talk to us a little bit more about that. And that's a great point. So 
every engagement starts with a breathing um, where you listen to your client, what they think the problem is, etc., etc. And uh, the first step in, in this process for me is always a, a series of stakeholder, stakeholder interviews where I talk to a couple of uh, stakeholders within the organization, sales folks, innovation folks, if it's an international project, people from different countries, etc., etc., really to try to understand not what is the stated problem, but what is the real problem. And then following this sort of like first immersion phase uh, comes a moment where you either confirm the problem um, and validate it, you know, you get it right, or you reframe it. You know, you think that this is your problem, but based on everything I've learned so far, maybe there is a different way to look at your problem and a different way to look at um, um, the assignment. And, but it, it happened in close cooperation with the, the team leading the project inside the organization. And that it never really met a resistance. I mean, it needs to be founded in, you know, feedback and input. Um, but um, that is usually the essential part of, of any problem. Or the truth is a lot of clients come to me and say, you know, we want to grow or we're not going, growing fast enough, you know which is not a problem statement. So you have to understand why is that, you know, is that an internal thing? Is that a customer, consumer thing? Why is, why is that? And how can we reframe this? We're not growing fast enough into because this is what is slowing down your growth, basically. And that becomes then something you can act upon, um, which I think is kind of interesting. Hmm. Hmm. One, one of the thoughts that occurred to me is based on my experience and what kind of prompted me into this whole uh, investigation of innovation right throughout my career, um, it kind of, well, it probably started before this, but the, the thing that really magnified it for me was going through, living through with ACFA, the um, responses to the digital photography transformation and, and the lack, the lack of response, adequate response to that when mm -hmm. the writing was on the wall and it was clear, I think, anybody that was paying any attention. I, I certainly thought it was clear to me at the time. Um, unfortunately, I was a young man that didn't have a lot of influence in the organisation, so I um, couldn't sway the powers that be. But one of the things that I'm curious about is how, how have you found particularly working with larger organizations where there, there's been a problem recognized, something like that, that there's a disruption happening, uh, but there's a resistance to change because they're scared of cannibalizing their existing business model, if you like. Mm -hmm. um, and you find that a lot, right? Or people resisting your thoughts on, you know, how the market is evolving or how the brand could evolve. No, 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 that's not how we've been building this business or that, you know, challenges the convention that, you know, that's not how we run the business. Uh, and the reality is, and I think that's important to understand and, and you're addressing the point exactly, is most successful organizations are wired to preserve their success, right? So we've grown <laughs> for the last five years We've learned how to do that. That's going to be our focus, preserving this success growth, uh, growth rate, so to say. Um, and no CEO, I think the CEO would get fired by the board of directors if they would say, you know what, we made it to 200 million. We're going to bet the bank on a completely new trend, very different from what we've done today. Aqua, we're going to go all in on digital photography. Uh, you know, you get fired, mm. you know, um, because it'd be, 
people would think he's destroying equity are just going crazy. Um, what I've learned is the way to, to approach that is to create, uh, uh, I've seen this happen and I've been involved in projects where you create a strong team. So a team that works outside the organization, that knows the organization because you need to know how a company mm. works to get things done within the organization, but that works outside the regular decision-making process within an organization. Because that's the other reality which you often see is an organization with a lot of hierarchy all the, manage within, all the managers within that hierarchy typically have the authority to say no. They don't have the authority to say yes. Yeah. Um, so you have to go through a lot of no's until you get to someone who actually has the power to say yes. So detaching the work, the task force from this hierarchy um, allows you to think differently, to work differently. Um, and that only works if your, the key project stakeholder is an executive that has the budget and the power to say yes. Mm. Um, and I've seen that happen a few years ago. I worked um, as an agency uh, partner to uh, the Wrigley company, and uh, we launched at the time Five Gum. And Five Gum was completely breakthrough um, in everything that was happening in the gum category because the convention was you need a functional benefit to communicate gum. You cannot sell gum over a price point of $1.20. Yada, yada, yada. So all these rules, um, creating a specific task force that's reported straight to the CEO allowed us to come up with a completely different concept that ultimately was launched and was one of the most successful launch the company ever had. But that was because it was taken outside mm. the normal structure and the decision-making process of the organization. And to be honest, a dirty secret as a consultant is I love to work with clients that are struggling because when there is enough pain inside the organization, mm -hmm. there is a higher willingness to change. Yeah. You know, a company that grows at 30% <clears> a year <throat> and has been for the last 10 years, I'm not quite sure what I can add um, because you'll get into this, hey, it's working for us, you know, um, I don't need I don't need to change things. A company that starts to slow in growth or that is sort of like suddenly hit by a new type of competitor, um, those are perfect clients for me because they are the most willing to reassess yeah. what they've been doing in the past. So um, sorry, long answer to your question, <laughs> but um, no, it's uh, it's <laughs> I I I guess the key there is finding those companies that aren't too far down the. <laughs> On the downhill slope that you can't turn it around right or you can't uh, that's true can't that very make true. changes that that will turn things around and i know i've i have been involved in a skunk works project in in another company um which certainly was the way to progress that forward um and the it prompted a thought in my mind where you said the key is to have have that senior executive as the project uh, champion who has the power to say yes, who has the budget to make it happen and so on. And in, in my case, um, there was, I don't know what happened, but from one day to the next, that senior executive suddenly left the company to pursue other opportunities. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden the project just, it just yeah, then, got then bogged down. Then and, the yeah. project is dead. So, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Yes, well, we don't want to end on that ne negative note. So, yeah, um, the coming back to this idea of going beyond the the superficiality, I got it that time. <laughs> the superficiality, and um, the the one thing that 
I always get frustrated by is is businesses chasing new customers and providing special offers to new customers, and there's there's always um, attention paid to bringing on board new customers at the expense of paying attention to existing customers who actually they perhaps have built a relationship with, who perhaps they have more trust with. Um, so tell us a little bit more. How can we look at that through the lens of your different um, different branding frameworks? Well, that's a great point, and that has to do with segmentation, right? Who do I appeal to? So um, when you're coming, so one thing is once you start to build this association, you want to stay true to them, but you also want to be able to communicate them in a relevant way to your core users um, and to potential users who may know of you or may not know you, um, that may need a different language. So segmentation is a crucial and essential part of that. I think the danger, and you see that a lot nowadays, is to try to appeal to new customers when you don't really have much to say. Mm. And what I mean with that is you, know, you see that a lot of uh, greenwashing in sustainability. You know, sustainability mm. is a huge global subject right now, which a lot of young adults are really interested in. Well, the truth is, when you don't have much to say about sustainability, the best thing you can do is to say, we don't have much to say about sustainability, but we're working on it, mm. as opposed to try to greenwash you. So to, to get to this, super, oh, you want me to talk about green? And, you know, uh, yeah, I walked uh, two miles today as opposed to take my car. Look at that. I'm, you know, at the forefront of sustainability. Mm. You know, that's bullshit. And consumers will notice that. But what you tell them needs to be also true to what, your current customers experience and perceive to be as true right you don't want to upset them you don't want to you don't want to turn them off basically uh, so it's really a fine balance to to uh, leverage something that is true to your organization um, and that is relevant to your group of customers and to potential other customers another typical example which drives me crazy coming back to and i'm going to try to say it but um, i'm probably not going to make it either superficiality uh, is this whole trend towards brand purposes, right? Is mm. when you really don't have much to say, claim you're saving, you know, dolphins in the Mediterranean, yeah. you know. So what? Um, uh, it's very cheap and very easy to do. But luckily, consumers nowadays are not stupid. Um, they are informed. They have ways to inform themselves. They have technology at their disposal to see through you. So I'm always surprised that companies still think they can get the shortcut um, without doing the due diligence of what is it unique about us, what do we do, what is our point of view, what do we contribute to the world and to the planet, and then find a way to tell those stories in a relevant way. Mm. Uh, it, it's crazy how few companies don't go through the due diligence or just, it, it, it's easier to hire an agency <laughs> and tell them, you know, do me, do, do a great um, do, do a great TV spot, emotional TV spot for me about clean energy mm. While I'm, you know, fracking in uh, in uh, the the nature in Alaska and destroying the environment over there, much easier, much much easier yeah. to do. Yes, well, I th those those fundamental questions that you just mentioned there, I mean, they're, they're pretty simple to consider. Obviously, many people find them hard to answer for themselves. Very hard. Mm. And and speaking of that, is coming back to the association, Jorgen is. Um, you know, I started to use um, um, sort of like bubble charts in my clients with presentation, which, which look very like simple, right? Where on one hand I say, what are the three associations that, that currently 
connected with your brand. And so you have like three bubbles that show that. Um, and then you can have, a, it, it looks so simple, right? It looks like a child drew those three bubbles um, and it's data-driven, so it needs to be data-driven. But then you can have a very smart and very fundamental conversation of, are those really our associations? Are they relevant? Do they stand out from competition? And then you put a, a, a graphic on the, the other side of the PowerPoint slide and add a couple of empty bubbles. And, you know, ask the question, what do we need to fill in those bubbles to start to stand out, to start to justify our prospect? And at first, you look at that and you say, okay, are you making fun of me here? Are you like, <laughs> like a camera watching me? Because it's so basic and so simple what you're telling me. But when you start to think about it, the complexity of answering the simple question is, is, uh, is, is amazing. Um, and for me, it's often a way to show my clients to what you think is unique is completely market generic because look, your competitors have exactly the same bubbles. Uh, you need to send a very, very simplistic or simple way to, to approach it, but very fundamental way. Coming back to what I said at the beginning, the yeah. more I learn, the more basic my, <laughs> my thinking becomes. Yeah. And in some ways, it's, it's just breaking things down into the simplest, simplest fundamentals and, and then allowing everyone to understand those simple fundamentals and build that back up again to the big picture. That is exactly right. And if you come back to my chart analogies, you cannot have like 26 brand associations with your current brand because no person with common sense will think that a brand has all these associations. So you know you need to, to reduce them to the most essentials. And so it guides your thought process in a very simple but very powerful way i find so hmm. uh, excellent all right well this is fascinating we could go on talking for ages and we haven't even touched on <laughs> some of the other things that that i know you've got such as the positioning roulette method cards which i find fascinating because i think there's applicability to those in things more than marketing but we'll we'll leave that for our listeners to go and check out on your website and we'll point that out later. I think it's a good point now to move on to the buzz, which is our innovation round. That's the same five questions mm -hmm. I ask of every guest. And the idea yeah. is that you'll, your answers will inspire the listener to go and do something awesome today as a result. No pressure. <laughs> Let's hope so. <laughs> All right. What's the number one thing anyone needs to do to be more innovative? So this sounds like a cool thing to do and the obvious thing to do, but it's the most difficult thing you can do is get out of your comfort zone. <laughs> um, do things you haven't done before. Um, try things you haven't done before. Go to places you haven't done before. Uh, go talk to people. And it sounds, oh yeah, that's cool, right? I'm an explorer. I'm sort of like an yeah. adventurer. The reality is no, we want to sit on our couch in our blanket, mm. eat our comfort food and not talk to the guy, you know, who looks a bit different from us. But I've learned that is sort of like the biggest thing you can do because it opens your mind. And typical example for that is global travel, yeah. right? You've traveled a lot as well. Going into another country, just looking at what's going on, how people interact, how people eat, the culture, all this kind of thing, cleans your mind in mm -hmm. a sense and, and gets new ideas without really you just sitting in a coffee shop in the Paris Champs-Élysées and drinking your coffee. <laughs> it just cleans your mind and fills your your minds with new ideas. But get out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. That is probably number one. I love it. Yeah, and and that global travel. I mean, I know you've you you were born in Germany like me, 
and lived in South Africa and Belgium and now in the US. And I'm not sure I've got everything there, probably a few others. And Hungary but, and yep. yeah. And, um, and I've certainly experienced that. I had a global role in, in my last company where I was in my corporate career and traveled a lot in Asia. And that, that was an eye opener. I mean, it's as a, as a Westerner traveling and, and living in different places in Asia, where at times not only can't you speak the language of the people and, and you're the only one that looks different. <laughs> you're the one that you look, the you're the one, one that's yeah. different and you can't yeah. even read anything. And, and that, and then the, the thousands of years of uh, history and culture that are in, in different places and unique history and culture in all the different little countries in throughout Asia is, is just so fascinating. And it's, yeah, that, that certainly opens Absolutely. your eyes and, and it shifts your perspective, doesn't it? Absolutely. Mm. And what I've noticed, and, and I don't know how it's in Australia, it's a little less in Europe because there are so many countries that are all together. But one thing I've noticed here in the US, there is an innate fear of um, anything abroad, mm. right? So uh, I've had friends call me and said, hey, I was thinking about spending a week in Istanbul, but isn't that dangerous? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, no, Istanbul is one of the most amazing cities yeah. you can find in Europe right now. It's way less dangerous than the U.S. Yes, they speak Turkish. Yes, they eat different food. Yes, the city is chaotic, but it's one of the coolest places you can go, mm. you know, or but there's an innate fear of, and that's what I mean with getting out of your comfort yeah. zone. It's easier to fly to, you know, uh, Florida or to, uh, you know, the Bahamas because they all speak English and a lot of them use US dollars. So it's comfortable. Uh, and yet I see a little ocean and a dolphin, maybe if I'm lucky. No, that's what I mean. Go to mm. another country. Um, uh, immerse yourself in a world that feels uncomfortable. You'll, you'll learn, and I'm sure you learn that too, is there are good people around the world. There are more good people around the world and there are bad people around the world. Mm. And as long as you are respectful to other cultures, you know, and as long as you don't walk around flashing your money or, you know, you being a Westerner, a rich Westerner, you'll be fine. People will, will welcome you and will respect you and will, will embrace you. So um, mm. uh, that is really for me the biggest and, and most important. Anything else is just tools and techniques <laughs> yeah. to get you to think differently. That is the full immersion uh, program. Excellent. All right. Well, what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? Well, sorry for the shameless self-promotion is the book I wrote. Yeah. Um, and that was really coming out of the lack of available tools that I could find in the public. Um, and based on 25 years of experience working in the business and coming up with ideas. Um, so after that, I decided, you know what? No one wrote the book on how to develop, how to think creatively about a positioning. So I'm going to do it. Mm. So I'd like to think that that's a, Right now, at least, the biggest contribution I've done to uh, innovation. Excellent. All right. Well, and, and as I said, we'll link to that in the show notes and we'll talk about that in a few moments. Now, what's a, a favorite resource you have that you use most often? So it's going to sound weird, but one of my favorite resorts is talking to random people. <laughs> and I'm, I'm a... I'm an introvert, mm. um, so it, it's coming back to the comfort, out of the comfort zone. But over the years, I've learned that I can connect with anyone sitting on a bench. Um, and, and you know, here in the U.S., you know how this, this, this divisive everyone is. And like a few years ago, we had um, charming Mr. Trump uh, running the country. Uh, 
And so, you know, but I'm able to talk to a Trumpist, to any person out there and just listen to their life stories, just listen to, you know, their love for their family, their love for children. So again, it takes away all the data point, all the Google searches, all the reports mm -hmm. we create and puts a face on a story out there. And, and that's for me is always the most motivating thing and the most inspiring thing as well because all of a sudden I say hey it's Jürgen how do I how do I get Jürgen to you know adopt a new platform whatever or you know buy a new brand of scotch it's it's all of a sudden it becomes personal yeah um, so that's 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 a tool sorry it's not a uh, that's I love it yeah technology it's a, tool but it's, a, um, um, it's counterintuitive yeah yeah and um, as an introvert I know how how much you have to push outside your comfort zone to speak to strangers. <laughs> and I think it's, yes. but my philosophy here in the business is making marketing and podcasting human again. And, and part of that, of course, is, is talking to people that you don't know and understanding their background, their story, their philosophies, their values. I was about to say you're being modest because as an introvert who, who is reluctant to talk to people, you decided to start a podcast <laughs> exactly. with 500 yes. plus episode and reach the world. So yes, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that that that's definitely outside my comfort zone. <laughs> it's becoming I'm becoming more comfortable with being uncomfortable. <laughs> but that's the point, mm. right? You get used to it and you see the value of it over time. Mm. And, and that's the point. With, it's not comfortable. That's the whole point of it you know so uh, <laughs> yeah yeah well it's exciting so and i learn a lot which is great yeah now what's the best way to keep a client on track um for me it's always uh, clearly understanding expectation and very close communication so and i've been pondering i have a couple of projects right now that um, are going slower than i thought they would because, you know, we're trying to recruit a certain number of a certain type of people for a research project and we can't find them. Um, so I've learned that in addition of my consulting work, my job is really to help solve problems to get a project to move forward. Now, that you do best if you communicate clearly and consistently with your client so they know exactly where you are at and what challenges you're facing. And it can even help you find solution to these type of problems. But hmm. if you know what the end game is, and have a strong communication with the client, uh, that's for me the best way to navigate all the uncertainties, the hiccups, the hurdles that you have to go through a project. And that also means, especially with larger organizations, not everyone is aligned behind the project that you've mm. been hired to do, right? Um, so talking to these people that are not aligned or that have a different point of view is a way to understand, okay, where are the minefields um, in, in this project? How can I disarm a, a negative attitude or, you know, a person resisting it? So clarity and communication, put it this way. Mm. So um, that's for me the best way to, again, for an introvert, it's, um, it's a challenge, yeah. but it's a key success criteria to, for any project. Yeah, I love it. And, and also you mentioned the people who may not be fully on board with the direction and, and that, that comes back to what you were saying before, talking to anyone, but talking to them to understand what's their point of view, where are they coming from? Is there something that perhaps we overlooked that, they, that they're highlighting or that they're concerned about? Or is it simply that I need to understand their perspective and talk to them at a different level? 
That's exactly right. And the easy thing again would be to say, you know, I'm not going to talk to him because it's going to be an unpleasant conversation. I'm going to continue and pretend my project is going great. Mm. But then you know that down the road in the execution phase, you're going to have a problem. Or you go and say, okay, maybe he had another consultant he wanted to hire and, you know, was passed over and doesn't like, or he doesn't think that the strategic direction of the company is the right one. Or maybe he just had a going through a divorce. Mm. But understanding what drives this person and what he thinks or feels or she um, uh, gives you the clarity you need to then say, okay, we're going to navigate, either involve him or navigate around him or, or include him in the thought. Or the reality is even people who often resist have occasional or have often valid concerns mm. and valid um, issues that they're addressing that if you are aware of them, you can build them into your solution, which leads to a better solution. Yeah. So, but again, Calling the guy who you know hates you, doesn't want to work with you, doesn't want to talk to you, it takes a bit of effort. Yeah. Got to be on a you know in a good mood and in a good uh, spirit to do that. Mm. Great. All right, and finally, and I'm sure you you'll have some great insights in this one. What's the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves? So it's interesting. I was I was thinking about that um, a couple of days ago, and um, the analogy. The, I hate this question because it's so superficial. Um, and, and that is against everything I stand for, but it's be yourself. It's find your own style. Um, and the analogy I, I came up with is, and I'm sure you've done that too, right? Through our career, when you start at a junior somewhere, you go to this presentation training seminars, yeah. the presentation skill seminars, you know, and they tell you all the things you got to do. Look at your audience. Don't put your hand in your pockets. Stand straight. Don't cross um, your arms. You know, <laughs> don't cross your arms. If you are nervous, think about your audience is in underwear. You know, all these things. So, I mean, they give you so many lists that you basically, the first time you try to apply them is you start to freak out <laughs> because you are so stiff, yeah. you are so obsessed with doing the right thing. And as you learn, and I'm sure you've learned the, the same as well, as you grow more, more confident in your career and have more presentation, the real impact you create is to be yourself, mm. which is your sense of humor. If you want to put your hands in your pockets, Put them in your pockets. That's not the determining factor in your presentation skills. If you want to sit on your hands, do that. You know, if you want to make jokes, do that. Um, it's really about finding your unique voice and your unique style um, that people will remember. And the truth is, most people will, you know, like it. Or, or as you learn to, I mean, you're also selling, right? So you learn how to sell, and a lot of people will respond to the salesmanship. Some people will will hate you for that, and that's perfectly fine as well. Right. You know, you cannot make everyone happy, but at least people will remember you, um, and that's for me. And that you can only achieve that by you know using your style of presentation, your sense of humor, your rhythm in presenting, and all these kind of things. So that's for me the how do you stand out? Mm -hmm. Any other thing maybe to close the loop is don't be superficial. Mm -hmm. Don't go with the buzz everyone else is going. You know, if you have a conversation with two marketers and everyone is like, oh, yeah, it's all about brand purpose nowadays. Yeah, yeah, we need a brand purpose. And you have one person in the group that says, I completely disagree with everyone else here. I think the brand purpose is the dumbest thing in the world for this specific um, um, solution. Trust me, you'll be remembered. Not the nine guys who said, <laughs> yeah. yes, we need a brand purpose. Yeah. Um, so, so that's why as I say, As long as it's genuine, answer, as long as you're not saying, just saying that to be disagreeable. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, but that, that means you need to be, to know what you believe mm. in. You need to have a point of view. You need to be confident in your skills, which 
you can learn as you as you become more more senior in your job but that's really it so mm. it's not like even the conversation with you Jürgen, it's not okay how can i please Jürgen? how can i you know make him like me or how can i say smart things and how can i make him laugh no it's you see what you get um, and we're talking having a nice conversation about the subject probably different than your other guests well i know it is but that's just the reality mm, you know, right. some people mm. will remember it some people would say what an idiot and that's fine with me as well. Um, uh, but that, that, that's for me the, 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 biggest, yeah. the biggest difference, the, the biggest way to stand yeah. out. Well, it comes back to um, doing some of that work on yourself that you talked about earlier on, on the branding, asking some of those fundamental questions. What is it that I stand for? What is it that I value? Um, being self-aware so that you know this is my yeah. style and, being and that yeah. kind of helps you be comfortable in presenting this style this is fine even even though there'll be a lot of people that say we don't like that and that's okay because if you don't if if you were to connect with those people by putting on a different persona let's say then then down the track somewhere there's going to be it's going to be stressful yeah, it's not going to be you. You're going to feel uncomfortable. You're not going to feel, you know, understood for who you are or attract the type of people that you want to attract. Mm. And you're just building a, a real Instagram bubble in your <laughs> real world. And it just doesn't make, it doesn't make, you know, it, 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 you'll suffer from it at the very, at the, at the very end. But again, it means that, you know, not everyone's going to like me. I'm okay with that. Yeah. It's uncomfortable, but I'm okay with that, you know. Um, but you learn that as you, as you know, mm. you learn that as you become more mature, probably as you grow older as well, and you're just more relaxed about things. Yeah. I find that always interesting when I work with young people. Um, I always try to ask them, what do you think? Um, um, you know, when we look about, mm. think about an idea or look at some creative work and stuff like that. And a lot of young people always misunderstand my question by, by thinking that I'm asking them if they like it or not. So, you know, by, by, and they want to give me their personal opinion about what we're discussing. And then I often have to reframe the, the, um, the question by saying, no, 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 you are a young media person. What is your media point of view on the idea we are focusing on? You know, hmm. and, and that's just some things people have to learn on, on, you know, I'm in a group. Um, I have a, I have a point of view. I need to share it. That's what people want to learn from yeah. me. Not, do I like the color yellow or red? No, it's like, does it make sense from a media perspective or from a media mm. channel perspective or do we see issues? So it's just a learning process we have, we'll have to go through. Yeah, excellent. And it's a great example of how language can be reframed also to to mm-hmm. draw out those people. Mm. All right. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Oli. This has been fabulous. I, I'm really enjoying the conversation and thanks for getting us through the buzz Thank as you. well. Now, where can people <laughs> find out more about the work you're doing? First, the trousers, then the shoes, about the brand positioning workbook, and maybe even reach out and get in touch and say thanks for what you've shared. Yeah. So thanks for asking. The best way is probably through LinkedIn, Uli Applebaum on LinkedIn, or you just uh, Google my name and trust me, you'll be popping up all over the place. Um, um, and the book, uh, the Brand Positioning Workbook and the Positioning Card you mentioned earlier and there are other cards I'm selling on Amazon as well. You can find them on Amazon. So just uh, go on Amazon and Google Brand Positioning Workbook uh, or my name and the, the products will pop up. That's really the best um, the best way. And 
I don't like to share like social media information, Instagram and stuff like that, because I look at that as my private world. Mm. I follow my hobbies and you know these kind of things. It's not a it's not a professional platform for me. So um, and I hate Twitter, so I never <laughs> I never on Twitter. So LinkedIn is really the way to find me. Okay, and we'll, we'll make it easy for people to um, reach you there. We'll post those links in the show notes. Thank you. Appreciate it. It was a pleasure talking to you, Jürgen. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Now, what action would you like our listeners to take out of today's conversation? Get out of your comfort okay. zone. And uh, that's really what I do. Something you haven't done before. You like coffee? Try tea. Uh, you know, you like Chinese food? Try to go to a Mongolian restaurant if you have one. And go out of your comfort zone. Or the best way to do it, travel. Travel, travel mm-hmm. the world. Go into a country that... Um, uh, you know, you might be a little bit intimidated by it, so not, but not the Bahamas. And when you go to that country, um, don't go into the exclusive, all, all-inclusive resort. Mm. Uh, book an Airbnb, rent a car, do your own thing. It's the best way to just clean your mind, clear your mind, and just fill it up with new, new thought. And either you're going to hate it and say, I hate travel, I hate everything outside my country, but that's the minority in my experience. The majority will say, oh, it's so amazing. Look, they do things differently. But hey, look, you know what? It works. It actually works better than it works in our country. Yeah, uh, exactly. And all that by just going on a trip. It's very simple. Hmm. Yeah, and and speak to people. I mean, I know from from my experience in Asia that I mentioned before, often, um, and this was before we had um, Google Maps, so I would often go for a walk with my cameras um, out in the countryside, out off the beaten track and I'd have my map and any time I would stop somewhere to read the map and try to get orientated and figure out, well, where's, how do I get to the next spot I wanted to get to? Nine times out of 10, somebody would come up and speak to me and say, can I help you? Can I help you find your way? Um, So yeah, absolutely. The place is a friendly Mm. friend. The world is a friendly place. Um, And absolutely fully agree with you. Mm. Excellent. All right. Finally, Uli, who else should I get on the show and why? Who else should you get on the show and why? Uh, this, to be honest, that's the one question I haven't really thought <laughs> about. Um, um, I'm stuck here. I, no one comes to mind, blah, blah, blah. Let me think, let me think. No, no one comes well, to mind. We'll come back to you with that one. Follow up. Yes. <laughs> Do that offline. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, thanks so much for sharing your time and your insights so generously with us today. Uli, this has been fabulous. I've really enjoyed the conversation and I'm sure there's lots of value for our listeners in in what you've shared with us today and also in in the links that we'll have in the show notes that people can follow up. And thanks so much, Jordan. Great question. I enjoyed talking to you and I'm sure the second I hang up, I'm going to say, ah, I should have talked to so and so that's going to come that's fine we'll, we'll include those in the show notes once we once we work it out so thanks Sounds thanks so good. much Have and a... please do stay in touch will do absolutely thank you Jürgen. i hope you enjoyed that insightful and really informative conversation with uli and took something away from his episode most importantly So take all these advice and do something you haven't done before. Get out of your comfort zone. It can be small, like going to a different restaurant and trying food you've never tried before. Or, even better, go bigger. 
travel to a new country. Arrange your own accommodation outside the main resorts, outside the main hotels. Rent a car and explore. Talk to people, most importantly, and listen. Uli's episode can be found at innovabiz.co forward slash Uli Applebaum. That is U-L-L-I-A-P-P-E-L-B-A-U-M. All lowercase, all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Uli Applebaum. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Uli, as well as links to his First The Trousers website to the Brand Positioning Workbook, to his LinkedIn page and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation today. If you've listened this far into the show, then I'm guessing you love this conversation. If you think it would be useful to somebody else, be brave enough to share the conversation with that one other person. You'll be doing them a favour. Also, make sure to get the episode bookmark token at innovabiz.co forward slash bookmarks. For the cost of less than a cup of coffee today, you can have your very own permanent record of this show, regardless of what happens to the podcast in the future. 50% of all the revenue from this episode token will go directly to Uli as guest of the episode, and the other 50% goes towards supporting the show. Think of it as a way to support Uli and tell him that you loved his episode. Thanks for listening. We'd love you to leave a review on this episode. It will help us to make the podcast better for you. Simply go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz and pick your preferred platform. Now remember too to go to innovabuzz.co forward slash flywheel to collect your unique digital token which will give you membership of the Flywheel Nation community where you'll have direct access to our amazing podcast guests as well as to a short audio program that walks you through the entire InnovaBuzz podcasting process. Tune in again to the next episodes of the InnovaBuzz podcast where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.